If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 37, we will be picking up our study in Jeremiah in chapter 37. But let me open our time together first with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do uh, praise you for your glory and your faithfulness. Uh, we praise you for uh, even your faithfulness in bringing uh, judgments upon our sin uh, when you have said uh, that our sin incurs that judgment. Um, but we thank you even more that the judgment that uh, we so rightly bear has been taken uh, on our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he took our sin and bore it on that cross, uh, took the punishment that we deserved, uh, and even more, uh, that he took his perfect righteousness and clothes us uh, with that. As we uh, study uh, this morning, uh, the last days um, and the fall of Jerusalem, help us to see your, your faithfulness to your people, even in uh, raising up the Babylonians as the instrument of your judgment. Um, that you're not doing it uh, because you hate them, but because you love them and you will pursue them even by uh, the rod of correction. Lord, uh, help us uh, to see ourselves in this text, to, that we see our own uh, sinfulness, our own refusal to, to listen to your word, that um, uh, we inquire of it, but if we don't get the answer we like, we do our own thing instead of being faithful and obedient to you. Uh, forgive us our sin, but uh, give us hearts that are turned to you, uh, hearts of repentance and hearts of faith, uh, looking to our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us this morning, we pray, by the Holy Spirit. May the same uh, Spirit that spoke through the prophet, prophet Jeremiah uh, speak to us uh, this morning. And we lift all this up in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 37, let me just briefly kind of recap where we are in the book. I know last week we had a 36-chapter recap. I'm not going to do that again, don't worry. Uh, but I am going to do a little uh, uh, four-chapter recap, because if you look at the beginning of chapter 37, uh, we, we see it talking about Zedekiah. And as we get into chapter 37, we'll see it's this moment that the um, Babylonians have, have besieged Jerusalem. Uh, the Egyptians come out of Egypt, which draws the Babylonian army away from Jerusalem. And uh, Judah thinks it's safe now. Uh, if you remember, this is the same moment that uh, took place back in chapter 34. Chapter 34, if you'll recall, um, King Zedekiah leads the people in making a covenant before God that they will, in, they will free their enslaved fellow Hebrews uh, if God would be gracious to them. God's gracious to them, the Babylonians leave, and they're like, uh, second thought, we'd like to hang on to those slaves. Um, so he goes back on his word, we see back in chapter 34. In chapter 35, Jeremiah goes back in time. So we go from Zedekiah in chapter 34 to Jehoiakim in chapter 35. And um, almost as a contrast to that unfaithful action of King Zedekiah and his, his breaking his oath 
In chapter 35, we were given the picture of this strange clan, the Rechabites, uh, whose ancestor had pledged that they would drink no wine. And, and Jeremiah uses them as a living illustration of, look, here's a group of people who are still doing what their ancestor a long time ago pledged, and they're still being faithful to that vow. Why are you not being faithful <laughs> uh, to your vows made before God? So he contrasts in the reign of Zedekiah, it follows with this picture from Jehoiakim, this living sermon that he uses the Rechabites as uh, an example of faithfulness. Chapter 36 stays still back in that historic moment of time in the reign of King Jehoiakim, uh, this particular moment where um, Jehoiakim takes the, the word of God um, and, uh, you know, he, 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 you know, God had commanded that his words to Jeremiah be written down on a scroll and proclaimed to the people so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. But when the officials bring that scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies to the king, uh, he takes a knife and he cuts as they're read, you know, the scrolls unfurled, he just takes, okay, we'll take those four columns and throw them in the fire, uh, the next four columns thrown into the fire. Um, and uh, in contrast to, uh, you know, you read the story when the book of the law is discovered in the temple, uh, King Josiah, you know, and all his officials uh, tore their robes because here's the law, here's the word of God, and we haven't been doing it. Uh, Jeremiah in chapter 36 notes, yet neither the king nor any of his servants were, who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. So you kind of contrast uh, Jehoiakim's uh, reaction. And in response, God declared at the end of chapter 36, and I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah, all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. So when we get into chapter 37, we're going back to that same moment in chapter 34. We're jumping ahead, back from the reign of King Jehoiakim, 18 years forward to the reign of King Zedekiah, um, but notice the link between the two chapters. Uh, just as chapter 36 ended, they would not listen uh, or they would not hear. Chapter 37 begins, King Zedekiah nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. So two separate moments in time, but they're connected by a, the same stubborn refusal to take heed of the word of God. Two different kings, but two very similar reactions to God's word. So with that as a um, uh, uh, introduction, uh, hear now the word of God from Jeremiah chapter 37. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. King Zedekiah sent Juachal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Maaseiah, 
to Jeremiah the prophet saying, please pray for us to the Lord our God. Now Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people for he had not yet been put in prison. The army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt and when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, thus you shall say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of the Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained of them only wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn the city with fire. Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. When he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named Arijah, the son of Shalemiah, son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie. I am not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Arijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you have put me in prison. Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying the king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now hear, please, O my lord the king, let my humble plea come before you, and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, lest I die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders, and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard, and a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So as I said previously, there are 18 years between chapters 36 and 37. We have a different king. Zedekiah uh, now takes a center stage, the last king of Judah. So what impression does this chapter give you of King Zedekiah? Um, what are we told about him? Uh, how are we to, to understand who this king is and, and why he acts the way he does? Yeah, Greg.
No, no, I think that's, it. and if we think about it, it's like all the different parties involved. So as you say, he, he's, he's, a, he's a puppet. Like, uh, you know, King uh, Jeconiah, or Kaniah as he's called here, the son of uh, Jehoiakim, um, is, is ruling. He rules for three months, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes him away, and puts Zedekiah in place. So he's a puppet installed by Nebuchadnezzar. So presumably, he, so that he'll pursue a pro-Babylonian policy. So you've got Zedekiah, who is outwardly connected to Babylon. But now he's got a reign in Judah, <laughs> who hate the Babylonians, um, who aren't happy that their rightful king has been replaced um, by his uncle. Um, so, so there, so he, he's the people he's supposed to be ruling. They have demands that they're pressing on him. We we don't want you as king, or we don't want to be under the thumb of the Babylonians. So we want, uh, and we see in this passage, there's this indication that they are looking to the Egyptians for help. So this king who had taken an oath to Yahweh um, to, to serve the Babylonians, um, we see that in Chronicles uh, 36, I think. Um, yeah, 2 Chronicles 36, 13, when, when Zedekiah uh, is appointed he takes an oath to Yahweh to serve the Babylonians, but the people want him to ally with the Egyptians against the Babylonians. So, you know, so if we're to back to your rock and hard place, uh, you know, we've got the rock of Nebuchadnezzar, um, we've got the rock of the people and the, his advisors and officials and what they want, and we'll see this again next week. Clearly, they have his his ear, um, so he, he seems to be very much. Um, you know, one of those uh, leaders who is listening to whatever voice is in his ear at the moment. And then you have God, <laughs> who has, has you know, uh, it, um, given commands to this king to follow his law. And as we said, neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. So, you know, we've got, he, he's between Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, the people and their desire for the Egyptians, and God, and what God wants him to do. And, and we'll see, again, this is more next week in chapter 38, but we've seen this before. Um, God, through Jeremiah, is, is, is instructing him, go along with the Babylonians. Do not fight them. Do not resist them. Um, so, yeah, so he's in this tough spot. And uh, the other thing you said, Greg, about him secretly, I want to come back to that. that. That is another trait we'll see of Zedekiah in the next couple of chapters. He has multiple conversations um, with Jeremiah that uh, in secret, like that seems to be when he, like either sends proxies to go deal with Zedekiah, as we see at the beginning of this chapter, or if he sees them, he always makes sure it's in a secret place, um, and their conversation is kept secret. He doesn't want it getting out. Yeah, Dave.
yeah, that, and, and we'll see this again in 38, that um, it, it's this, it's really strange, because he, he, he it's, it's as if he knows Jeremiah is the true prophet of God, and it would be wrong of me to kill him. It would be wrong for my officials to kill him. But I don't want to listen to a word he says. So, like, um, it, which uh, gets to, like, you know, as we think about this and think about, I mean, how often is that us? Like, you know, Matthew will preach a sermon and, and we'll dutifully sit here and listen to it and then stubbornly do the complete opposite tomorrow. <laughs> what? Nobody's killed you yet. Or, or thrown you in a cistern. There's time, though. You're young in your ministry. <laughs> Give it time, you know. There's, there's a reason Jerry left. There's a reason Jerry left that you didn't know. Like, no, just kidding. <laughs> we locked him in the basement until. <laughs> no, uh, but, but, but it's like, how often do we hear very clear testimony um, from God in His Word about we should not do X, and we do X uh, over and over and over again. Um, we pursue, pursue what we want rather than doing the things that God has commanded us. And if we think like, you know, uh, like we, we pray for something and, and God gives us something else and we keep praying for the thing <laughs> that, that we want. Like it's sort of like God gives us an answer to the prayer. Um, it's not the answer we want. So we keep <laughs> like going back and like, well, if I, you know, we, we want what we want rather than praying as Jesus taught us, thy will be done. Um, and as we see Zedekiah here, I think he, he captures that, that part of us, like that, you know, all right, we, we know we, we need to be dutiful and listen to the word of God, um, and yet putting it into to practice, doing the things that God has commanded us, our sinful, stubborn hearts resist um, listening. Like we hear the words, but we don't listen. <laughs> um, we don't apply them. We don't put them into action. Um, they're, they're just, you know, words that come at us. Um, we, we don't take them with the full weight that God's word should receive. Um, and that's, I mean, as we see it here, like that's scary <laughs> um, because it, it's us. We, just like he's a, a vacillator, like who, okay, <laughs> you know, when I talk to the Babylonians, no, we're all good. And then I turn around, Egyptians, come help us. <laughs> you know, wherever the wind is blowing, Zedekiah is, is going in that direction. Um, uh, one, one person, um, Zedek, put it this way, Zedekiah shows that he was a weak man who vacillates terribly. Almost every decision he has, over every, almost every decision he has to make. The only area in which he shows any decisiveness is in his refusal to listen to the word of God. Um, like, so he, like, he makes up his mind, takes an action, and then he goes back on it. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Other things that strike you about King Zedekiah as we presented him here. I miss my big heavy Yeti because that way it always covers up my hand shaking. Where's 
light plastic cup doesn't do that, so you're getting the rattling ice, and I can't drink without spilling it all over myself. Okay, so we we have this picture of of Zedekiah, and you know he he's he's a king who has very real troubles. Um, uh, you know he's a puppet. Uh, he's ruling a people who might still hold to Jehoiakim being the, the rightful, real king uh, who they hope will be released and restored from Babylon. Uh, he's got people, a strong pro-Egyptian party amongst his advisors who are constantly urging Zedekiah to revolt against the Babylonian vassal treaty imposed on him by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and again, if we, if you look back in Chronicles, it's by him rebelling against Babylon, he's breaking an oath that he made in God's name. So it's not just an act of, when he rebels against Babylon, it's not just an act of political rebellion, it's an act of spiritual rebellion too. He's gone back on a word he made before the Lord God. Okay, but he, he, he constantly is going to Jeremiah. <laughs> and so in verse 3, we see him sending uh, a couple of, of um, messengers to Jeremiah saying, please pray for us to the Lord our God. So how does God respond to Zedekiah's request? He sends to Jeremiah to pray, and then God, in response to Zedekiah's request for Jeremiah to pray, gives an answer. So what does God answer? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, so the Chaldeans pull back, and notice like everybody's reaction is, uh, the Chaldeans will surely go away from us. Like, this is it. And, and God, so, like, he sends to Jeremiah, no answer comes, or while they were waiting for the, in, the, in between the answer, the Babylonians temporarily depart. And then God gives that answer, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, thus says the Lord God of Israel. And he's like, don't, don't, don't fool yourself <laughs> thinking that this is over. Uh, don't fool yourself thinking that the Egyptians have just come and delivered you. They haven't. Um, basically, the Egyptians come out of Egypt, see the Babylonians coming, and go back to Egypt. <laughs> so it's like, okay, <laughs> uh, we did our, our we we did a solid by our our ally, uh, these Judeans. Uh, we we came out of Egypt and then turned around and went back. <laughs> Which meant the Babylonians could then turn around and once again give their full attention to Jerusalem. What else strikes you about uh, God's answer um, to this request of Zedekiah um, to, to pray to God? How does God answer? Yeah, Dave.
Yeah, and, and the, the, you've put, pointed out the key word there, um, burn it with fire, burn the city with fire. Anybody remember the last time we heard the word fire in the book of Jeremiah? What happens in chapter <laughs> Yep, <laughs> cutting the scroll, throwing it in the fire. So it's this contrast, again, between this king who um, takes God's word and burns them with fire, and then you know, Zedekiah comes along and trying to, again, not listen to the word of God. I mean, that neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. Um, and the, the ironic result is the, these kings who literally burned the word of God <laughs> um, are going to have their city uh, burned um, as punishment for their, their lack of faithfulness. So it's this ironic picture. And then the other thing that David pointed out, like, it's also comical. <laughs> and, I mean, uh, like, even if <laughs> they only had wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn the city's fire. Like, uh, you know, even if the only person left on your bench is your, my 90-year-old father <laughs> uh, who needs a walker to get around, like, uh, he, he'd dunk on you. Uh, he, he, he was always coy if he could dunk her. He was really stooped with age now, but once he was really tall, like, it was, he played basketball back in the 50s, and they did the, like, picture, team picture, and then they, like, made it up in the middle to get him in. They didn't really need to. He wasn't that tall, but they did it for effect. Um, but it's that, that kind of even the weak, the wounded, um, it, are going to be able to take this city. Why? Because it's God um, who is bringing it about. Um, God who is the one behind the Babylonians bringing this punishment upon the city of Jerusalem for their persistent refusal to listen to God's word. Yeah, and it's like uh, a lot of people um, like put this moment like uh, at, it, in comparison to the to another moment when another army was camped around uh, Jerusalem, when King Hezekiah's on the throne and the Assyrians are camped around the city, and God miraculously you know strikes down one hundred and seventy five thousand 
Assyrians around the city and delivers them. But the difference was Hezekiah prayed and had a prayer of repentance, uh, a prayer of, you know, um, confessing his, his, his and his people's shortcomings before God. He turned to God in terms uh, you know, using God's own words back to him. Like, you know, like think how you're supposed to pray. Uh, you're, you, you know, you pray for the things that God has told you to pray for, <laughs> using the words that, that God has given you to pray. Uh, and God listened in that moment. And here, it's like, as you say, it's they expect God to act for them even though they are steadfastly refusing to listen to God. Um, and so they're... Ex- you know, expecting the same result without exercising the same faith and repentance that King Hezekiah exercised that, you know, brought God to intervene dramatically on their behalf. Um, and here, God, they're, as you say, they're not listening. He knows their hearts. Uh, he knows they're not going to turn to him. And the judgment is so secure Uh, so certain that even if it was a bunch of crippled Chaldeans (laughs) who normally are are laying in their tents wounded, they'd still be able to come in and and burn the city Um, because it's God. It's not the, this is not a a statement about, well, even the weakest Chaldean is stronger than the strongest Judean. It's not, it's, because God is behind the judgment and because God's word has come forward that they've refused to listen and God, in answer to their prayer, has given this answer. The Chaldeans will surely burn the city. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, that, the, the, the idea that they, I mean, it's one of those things like they're doing the same thing, not listening to God over and over again, and, and, but expecting a different result <laughs> each time they do it. Like, uh, we, maybe if we still don't listen to him, he'll act on our behalf. Well, let's not listen to him in this situation. Maybe he'll act on our behalf. Um, and, and, and again, like, I, I, at least myself, <laughs> Like, I mean, I have to confess, there's so many times I hear clear things and it's, well, that's not what I want to do. Like, you know, it's, we devise our plans and and hope God rubber stamps them, Um, but put ourselves in the driver's seat, where as God's response says, no, I'm in the driver's seat. Um, You have to um, listen to my commands um, and you have to accept the answers that I bring. I was challenged last night in our Bible study. Can you work Deuteronomy in? I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> 
yet doesn't know him in that relational sense. So, like, <laughs> um, yeah, and so, yeah, Deuteronomy 17, uh, so the passage gives, you know, it's one of those passages in Deuteronomy, when you get in the land, you're going to look around at all the nations around you, and, and you're going to say, we want a king like the nations around you. And, and that's fine, you know, I'll, I'll give you a king, but it's got to be the guy I choose. And then it st sets out these stipulations that are supposed to govern the behaviors of the Israel, or king of Israel. Um, don't multiply horses and chariots. Don't go to Egypt <laughs> looking for help. Uh, as Jay says, take all these, every king is supposed to take all these words of this law and make a copy in their own handwriting. Um, uh, don't multiply wives for yourselves because um, they're going to lead you astray to, uh, you know, idols. Um, don't uh, pursue riches. Um, don't exalt yourself over your fellow Israelite. Um, and as we've read through Jeremiah, I think we've seen every single one of those broken <laughs> uh, in this book. Um, even when we get to, we, we kept talking about um, when we were studying uh, Deuteronomy last night, we kept going to, to King Solomon. Here's this you know, guy that's supposed to be so wise and, you know, I, I, like, like, we were like, did he build like an entire neighborhood block to house all his wives and concubines, like apartment building? Like, you know, uh, you know and, he, and most of those wives were again made to submit uh, or, or to cement alliances that have been made with these foreign nations. And that's what we see here in this king at this moment. A king who faced with the disastrous destruction of his city is putting more faith in the army of the Egyptians coming to his aid than the covenant God. Um, and yeah, he, he doesn't, he, he knows about him because he keeps having conversations with Jeremiah about him, um, but he, he doesn't know him. Um, he doesn't, because he, he doesn't, he hears the words, but he doesn't listen and obey. Like, what are they thinking? Um, yeah, um, I'll have to go back. Like, there, there is actually an extra biblical text, like Chronicle, that talks about how the Egyptians are coming up. Um, so they, they fought the Babylonians previously and su suffered a disastrous loss. Um, so, you know, but some time has passed. So they're thinking, like, again, these are the two superpowers. Um, so if one superpower gets in the ascendancy for a time, the other superpower is constantly thinking, how do we bring them down? Like, like why did France and Spain get, I'm, teach, I'm teaching a class on the American Revolution right now. Why did France and Spain involve themselves in the American Revolution? Did they want an independent United States? No. <laughs> did they want uh, to spread ideas of republicanism, democracy? No. <laughs> They wanted to get back at Britain. <laughs> They're like, oh, like our enemy, uh, our historic enemy, who's gotten, like, you know, coming out of the Seven Years' War, Britain, the balance of power has really shifted toward Britain. 
And so France and Spain and the Dutch <laughs> and most other European nations are like, how can we bring Great Britain down a notch? Um, so we involve ourselves in their little internal dispute and uh, we feed money and weapons to these patriots, even though like it, it hurts them both. Like, you know, independence, um, the very thing they fear happens. Independence movements, you get a French revolution, you get all kinds of revolutions throughout Latin America. Like they, but they stuck their nose in because their, their hatred for their enemy. So I, I would say that's like, they, the Egyptians hate the Babylonians. They're their rivals, uh, they're their big rivals for control over this prosperous, fertile crescent. And they're using this as an opportunity to maybe go up and then they, have second thoughts <laughs> because yeah, the Babylonians, like there's a reason Britain was the biggest, baddest, <laughs> and they had the best Navy. I say that because I'm a maritime historian, so I, I go with the good Navy. Um, but, but I think it's that, like in the kind of geopolitical things, like, you know, the, the enemy or the, yeah, enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, so they're, they're kind of adopting that policy. And, and maybe they're coming out. Uh, we, we do know that you know, Zedekiah has, has sent messengers basically saying, come help me. Um, and so they, they make a show of helping them, but yeah, they, for whatever reason, they don't wanna like fully invest themselves, probably because they don't wanna lose. Good question. I don't know off the top of my head. Do you know, Matthew? I'll have to look that one up. I'll, I'll look that one up to come back. Um, I sh yeah, my timeline doesn't go that far. He's been, I can tell you how long he's been in power. <laughs> um, so uh, he's been in power at this moment for about, I got to do my, it's always hard to do the years backwards. Um, so he comes to power. Uh, roughly around 605. Um, so, you know, and we're in about 588. So what is that, 17? So he's been in ruling for about 17 years. And that was the Battle of Carchemish is when, uh, you know, his big moment where he crushes the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish. So we're, you know, uh, uh, about uh, 17, 18 years after that last big showdown, and they have another big showdown later on um, after the fall of Jerusalem. So the war between Babylon and Egypt keeps going um, even after Jerusalem's gone. All right, well, uh, the other big thing that happens in this chapter um, is uh, Jeremiah is imprisoned. Um, and this is gonna be the situation uh, that Jeremiah's in for the next couple of chapters until the fall of Jerusalem in chapter 39. So, yeah, what, what strikes you about the circumstances of Jeremiah's arrest, uh, the circumstances of his imprisonment? Yeah. <laughs> if he wants to leave, yeah, he, yeah, once he's out of the city, he won't come back. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a great point. Like, why do they care? 
I think because they don't care, like it's the, the pretense. Like, you know, uh, they want to punish him, abuse him, like they, they want to inflict um, punishment upon him. So they need to convict him of or, you know, crime to give them the legal fiction of being righteous and punishing this prophet. And the legal fiction they create is he's a deserter. Um, this guy who has been preaching a perceived pro-Babylonian message, uh, he's going out of the gate and, and they're saying it's because he's deserting to the Babylonians. Um, so I, I, I think you're absolutely right to like point out like if, like why would they care? Well, they care because they want to punish him. Um, I think the real thing that they want is to, to subject Jeremiah to abuse, to punishment. They want to kill him, like as we'll see in chapter 38. Um, you know, the, the, these, these officials are going to come, let this man be put to death. Um, they, they want to make an example out of him. Um, they don't just want him to, to leave. Like they, they want to make him suffer. Um, so they trump up the charge that he's de you're deserting to the Chaldeans. And it makes, like, it's, it's got enough credibility to the charge because, like he has been saying, surrender to the Chaldeans. Uh, lay down your arms and open the gates. Let the Chaldeans come in. And so, you know, there's enough plausibility in there that uh, they can cover their tracks with this charge, even though, you know, Jeremiah himself, I mean, this, it, it's, I mean, it's pretty um, striking in English, but it's even more striking it, in, in Hebrew, but it's a lie. It's like, that is an emphatic, <laughs> no, <laughs> that is a lie, like, so you, should have an exclamation point and a shouting <laughs> at that, that like lie. <laughs> not true, not deserting to the Chaldeans, um, but you know, and notice Erijah would not listen to him. Like, this is a pattern. <laughs> Whatever Jeremiah says, we're not going to pay any attention to him, even when he's testifying in kind of a judicial matter. Um, of his innocence, they're, they're not going to believe his story. Because again, they, they're, I think it's a pretense to, to do what they want to the prophet. Um, so this is the charge that they come up with. I mean, it's, think of like Jesus, like the false charges. They, they keep bringing, find, trying to find something that they can pin on them. And then finally they settle on something that... Uh, allows them to label him a blasphemer so they can kill him. Other things about the circumstances of Jeremiah's arrest. That stand out to you. How does Jeremiah respond? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, and and this like earlier in the book we saw this um, kind of competition or contrast between uh, Jeremiah and all these 
false prophets. Like that was a, a big section in the text. And one of the thing, um, you know, uh, the prophets who preceded, this is from chapter 28, the prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. So all these prophets who prophesied peace, peace has not come. And, and as Ronnie says, Jeremiah's like, why am I in prison? <laughs> I, like, my word has been, uh, the, you know, my word from the Lord has been demonstrated to be true. Their word from the Lord has been demonstrated to be false. Yet, I'm the one who is being beaten, confined, um, presumably starved because of uh, the, the loaf of bread that starts being given him daily from the Baker Street. Um, you know, he, he is being subjected to the most horrendous forms of abuse for being faithful to God. Yeah, Dave. Watch it now with your attacks on academia. Like, you know. <laughs> we, we academics never stake a position and hold to it way beyond our, 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 the moment we should hold to it. <laughs> Yeah, but like the same thing, like, you know, we could call it the shoot the messenger syndrome, like rather than acknowledging the truth of, of, of what Jeremiah has been saying, um, they'd rather take it out on him. Um, they, they'd rather, rather than listen to what God is telling them through Jeremiah, they don't like what God is telling them through Jeremiah, so they're going to take it out on Jeremiah. Even though he, he, he's been outwardly uh, demonstrated to be right. <laughs> uh, God has shown that his word is the word coming from Jeremiah's lips. And the words of these other guys, and to go back to Hananiah, we see Hananiah, you know, making declarations like, thus says the Lord. Um, you know, back in ch chapter 28. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'll bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Like, and it's, 
he's declaring that in the name of the Lord. And it's, it's completely and totally false. It's been shown to be false. And yet, you know, here we have, um, it might be a different Hananiah, but you notice you have a reference to uh, there, uh, the sentry named Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, son of who? Hananiah. <laughs> like, you know, is it a different Hananiah, the same Hananiah, but, um, you know, the one Hananiah has been shown to be false, uh, a false prophet. And, and then you have uh, his, his, maybe his grandson um, laying a charge against Jeremiah um, who, who has shown to be true. Um, so, like, uh, you know. And, and Jeremiah knows this. Like, again, Jeremiah's like, there's no truth in this charge of my desertion. What wrong have I done to you or to your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? Where are the prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Um, so he's like, why am I here? <laughs> and then he presents his plea and like notice the, the complete humility that he's coming. Like he, he's in the right and yet he's still adopting a position. Now here, please, O oh my Lord, the king. So he's using the correct form of address. Let my humble plea come before you. Do not send me back to the house of Jonathan's secretary, lest I die there. Um, and as Dave said earlier, um, the king uh, responds, and, and notice he doesn't, he doesn't free Jeremiah, he just changes the circumstances of his imprisonment. Um, and we can talk about next week when we get in chapter 38, um, when he's thrown into a cistern, like is, it, <laughs> is the change for the better or the worse. Um, but... Um, but yeah, like Zedek, King Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard and a loaf of bread was given him daily from the Baker Street until the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. And to go back to, to my first question about like what do we learn about King Zedekiah and thinking about like how this applies to us, here is somebody who, who knows enough about the truth to know that Jeremiah is probably innocent, um, that Jeremiah doesn't deserve what's happening to him now, but he's too weak, he's too, uh, you know, too, um, uh, you know, goes wherever which way the wind's blowing to do anything about it. I mean, it's very much like, you know, Pilate with, with Jesus. Like he, you know, this is an innocent man He's done nothing, I see he's done nothing wrong, uh, nothing that des uh, deserves the penalty of death, and yet he follows the crowd when they cry, cry crucify him, crucify him. That, that Zedekiah is, is like that. He, he knows this guy's innocent, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to appear like I'm, I'm listening to him because he's not really a popular figure. So I'll meet with him secretly and I'll change his circumstances, but I'm still going to keep him locked up so he can't go preaching his message.
Yeah, I mean, in the next chapter, um, we're going to see Zedekiah going, ah, you know, I'm just the king, what can I do? <laughs> Behold, he's in your hands, for the king can do nothing again. Like, he's like, ah, you know. <laughs> um, so, again, Zedekiah is, he, he's, he's a waffler, like, and he, he, I, like, I really think he has, he, he knows he needs to listen to Jeremiah, but he, he, he won't. Um, and that, I think, is the saddest thing, <laughs> like, the saddest position you can be in, to be so close to God's word and to know that there's truth in it and yet refuse, refuse to hear, like, I mean that that's that's an awful place to be in. Like you're you're just there and you hear it and you're like, no. Uh you refuse. Like and, and that's the, the kind of portrait I think we're given of Zedekiah. Like he comes so close and and he inquires and yet goes his own way, um, which is is the way of Destruction of his city, captivity for him, blindness, all these horrible things. Yeah, Mike? There'll be a different answer this time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, the this this stubborn, persistent refusal to listen. And again, that even though the, the chapters aren't in chronological order, uh, we're jumping back and forth between these different kings uh, in these last few chapters. Um, but the, um, the consistent thread is a persistent refusal of the king to listen to the word of the Lord. Um, and like, as you say, like they know enough to ask, um, but they refuse to listen. Um, and that is, that's horrible. Um, it's a horrible place for a person who, you know, knows enough to ask, but to, but to steadfastly and stubbornly refuse. And in this case, to lead the people in, in, in that same attitude. All right, well, we're at time, so let me uh, close this in prayer. But we'll, the story continues next week. Jeremiah's imprisonment uh, continues. His encounters with Zedekiah continue. Um, so we'll see lots of these same themes uh, next week as we dig into chapter eight, 38. Uh, but let's pray. Gracious God, we... Uh, we confess that um, we have stubborn, sinful hearts, um, that uh, we need you to do a work in our, our hearts. Uh, we need your, um, your spirit, uh, and we thank you that you've given that spirit that's taken our hearts of stone and turned them into flesh, uh, that's taken our deaf ears 
and open them to your word. Um, that has taken our mute lips and given us uh, the ability to speak your truth. And we pray that you would help us uh, to speak it uh, boldly to those around us, uh, even to those who would uh, persistently refuse um, and uh, reject you and reject your word. Um, but help us to be like Jeremiah, to, to be willing to be truth tellers, um, even if um, it uh, subjects us uh, to um, punishments and to, to uh, consequences uh, in this world. Help us to esteem you and the things of heaven uh, and the eternal life that you've won for us uh, more than the things of this earth. Help us to, to fear you uh, uh, who holds body and soul and not just uh, fear those who can kill the body. Uh, help us to rejoice uh, in the good news that uh, you have done this work of grace and mercy in us through uh, sending uh, your Son, our Savior. Uh, help us to uh, worship uh, in this coming hour um, and to, uh, to hear your word proclaimed uh, and to see your word uh, lived out before us uh, at the table as we participate in the sacrament with one another. Uh, help us to worship with great joy, uh, with great peace, uh, with great confidence in our sovereign God, in our loving God, uh, in a God uh, who has redeemed us and saved us. Uh, help us rejoice as we worship, we pray. In Christ's name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.